and you're listening to Fast Forward on the World Transformed. This program presents ongoing conversations with thought leaders who are shaping our future through new ideas and new technologies. In this edition of Fast Forward, Martin Lewis talks with us about one of the biggest challenges facing businesses today, understanding the buying behavior of their customers. In an online, always-on, personalized digital marketplace, why are businesses struggling more than ever to understand what drives their customers' purchasing decisions? Is it possible that most companies today have been looking at the selling process the wrong way and need to look at the external reality of how their customers actually buy? Let's explore. The future begins right now. Live to see it, friends, and welcome to The World Transformed. I'm Phil Bowermaster, and I'm pleased to introduce our very special guest for today's program. Martin R. Lewis is an acclaimed business professional with a vast background in all aspects of revenue generation. He consults globally, and his work has been used across 44 countries in 17 languages and has impacted over 85,000 sales professionals. Martin is an advisor to a number of executives in the high-tech industry and is active on several advisory boards and boards of directors and has served as the committee chair for the Sales Enablement Community of Practice Advisory Board for the American Society for Training and Development. He has a new book out drawing on years of working with consulting clients and their customers with the intriguing title, How Customers Buy and Why They Don't. Martin Lewis, welcome to Fast Forward on the World Transformed. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to be here. Well, it is so great to have you with us, and we're going to get into this idea of how customers buy and why they don't. Your book, In the book, you talk about five ways customers are buying differently today and the techniques that companies can use to rejuvenate their sales. So why don't we start out just with that list? Can you step us through those, those five ways that customers buy differently today? Yeah, absolutely, Phil, and it's a great place to start. And, of course, we're all customers. And it really doesn't matter what we're buying. Customers are buying very differently today. So let's talk about those five ways you mentioned. Number one, customers are far more informed than they ever were before. My word, when I go back to the early 80s when I was in frontline sales, if a a customer, a prospect wanted to find out anything about our company, our products, they had to call us and ask for us to send them a catalog or a brochure. So customers are far more informed. They have far more information at their fingertips. Number two, they're more empowered. This has really given them a lot more power than they had before. So instead of phoning a company to ask for a brochure, and right there you're at the mercy of a salesperson or you're at the mercy of a company to send you a catalog, to provide you information. So customers are far more empowered today. Three, they're far more networked. And, of course, an easy way to look at this is, uh, so you're thinking of buying dinner tonight, let's get on Yelp. And you instantly connect with hundreds of other people just like you that ate at that restaurant and review it. But you can take that right the way up to buying anything, maybe buying corporate jets or millions of dollars worth of software, whatever it may be. It is so much easier to network to other people like you and find out what their experiences are, what their advice would be, what they've done. So customers are far more networked. Number four, and this is a really interesting one because it kind of comes from those others, customers are overwhelmed. 
They're overwhelmed with things to do, and they're overwhelmed with marketing messages. How many times a day do you get an email or a text or a phone call, somebody offering to do something for you better, faster, cheaper? So people are overwhelmed with marketing messages. They're overwhelmed with ideas. They're overwhelmed with things to do. And then the fifth thing that really buyers are faced with is they're under-resourced. People don't have time. People don't have money. People don't have energy. So they, they, they don't even have time to go through all of those marketing messages. Even if there's something golden there, it's just, um, it's just deleted, it's overlooked, it's ignored. So that's it. So what do we got? Five things. People are more informed, empowered, networked, overwhelmed, and under-resourced. You know what's interesting about that list is on the one hand, customers, as you mentioned, they're more empowered. If, if sales is a dance, now they're leading the dance where before maybe the, maybe the company was leading the dance. So they're in charge now. It's their game. But what they're really looking for, it sounds like, is some kind of clarity, some kind of direction, something that's going to cut through all that chaotic information that they have and, and all of the overwhelm that they're suffering. Uh, absolutely correct. And, and you're right. The dance has changed. It's moved from the supplier to the buyer. The buyer is now the dominant person in the dance. I love the analogy. And you're right. Um, people are looking for greater clarity, but they're often not finding it. They're often finding more overwhelmed. Well, Mark, uh, what can you tell us about the impact that the Internet has had on the customer experience, and how is this continuing to evolve uh, from your site? Well, Ron, I think the uh, Internet is the root cause of so many of those things we've, we've just talked about, and it crept up on us. Of course, the Internet first started... Uh, some time ago, but what's happening today is a very, very different world, and it's the Internet that has really been the root cause of how customers buy differently. The information that people can get now at their fingertips, as I mentioned before, is just incredible. And, of course, the misinformation they may also pick up in that. The connectivity, the way that people can reach out. And, you know, I think the, the bottom line here is what you're saying about the dance. The power has moved from the seller to the buyer. And this is a, a, a very important point that perhaps we don't give enough thought to. In the 80s and the 90s, if you look at the buying and the selling process, which both sit side by side in so many ways, the selling process was dominant. When I was that sales rep back in the 80s, I was the conduit through which all information had to flow between the customer and my company. And I could control that. I could control the timing. I could control the pace. I could control the information. Today, that has gone. Today, as, as, as Phil was saying, it shifted. The buyer is now the dominant person in the dance. In fact, one of the things that we've seen is buyers can get 40 to 50% of their way through their buying journey before they even talk to a salesperson. A very different world. So in the book, you talk about the biggest mistake that most businesses are making today when it comes to understanding what drives their customers' buying decisions. So what is that one big mistake? The big mistake, I, I call it only a fool wouldn't buy. How many times have I heard people say, well, I look at, only a fool wouldn't buy this. <laughs> What's wrong with my sales force? Only a fool wouldn't buy this. We have such a great product. So I, I call it the only a fool wouldn't buy syndrome. And it really starts with an unfailing belief in their own product. Right. And, you know, I work with many companies across multiple industries from startups to giants. And one thing everybody has in common, they all believe in their product. And of course they should. 
who would want to work for a company where you say, well, you know what we offer the market is, it's kind of okay, but it's not that great. So <laughs> you, you want to believe in your own product. And right. probably in many ways you're right. Most of the companies I work with, and I could only kind of think of a, a small handful of companies that this isn't truthful, they have a good offering. They have an offering that truly brings value to a particular market. So their passion isn't misplaced, but it leads to a myopia. It leads to a myopia that customers will buy economically, rationally, and logically. And if you, you ask me what's the biggest mistake customers make, this is it. It's believing that customers are going to buy economically, logically, and rationally. But if yeah, we can biggest, put biggest a mistake business, that businesses yes, make. Big, businesses absolutely. Make. Yeah. I, I, sorry, thank you. Yes, indeed. And what it, what it comes down to is that belief that if we can show how offering is going to translate to value to our prospect, then only a fool wouldn't buy because we're offering you the ability to gain $20 for an investment of eight. So only a fool wouldn't buy. And the, the problem is there are many, many fools. People are turning down offers like that every day. Yeah, I, I love the image of the sales manager sitting around scratching his head wondering why there are so many fools out there. Where are all the smart <laughs> <Yeah>. people? <right? laughs> well, immediately I, see I, the advantage and, and, and sign up. Right? Exactly. I was engaged by a company in the healthcare industry a number of years ago, and they had one of the, they were offering a, a, a service to hospitals that would absolutely, without doubt, result in cost savings. There was no upfront investment. That there was no catches, no small print, so to speak. If a hospital spent money with them, they would guaranteed save money. And I remember the CFO, in my first meeting with the CFO, said, what is wrong with my sales force? Only a fool wouldn't buy this. Every time a hospital spends money with us, they're going to save money, guaranteed. Right. Only a fool wouldn't buy. So there it there is. It is. It, it's right up there. It's with the more you buy, the more you save, right? It's just it's one of <laughs> yes, those, yes. <laughs> it, it, it's one of those things that makes perfect sense to the person selling, and uh, it just isn't sinking in with the with the, the, the poor benighted folks out there who who actually need to make the buying decision. It's tough, isn't it, when you when to get your head around because it's so it's really so easy and so naive to think if you can position your offering and show how it's going to help somebody do something quicker, faster, better, cheaper, then only a fool wouldn't buy. That's kind of logical thinking. It's also easy thinking. And in yeah. today's world, it's just untrue. It's not, it's not right. So, Martin, you said that businesses are taking a backward approach to sales. What does that mean? The way we see it is that people, so many companies are still selling as if it was the 80s or the 90s. And we've kind of seen there's three generations of buyers. The first generation of buyers, way back, as long as there's been business uh, uh, and transactions going on, was really when you needed something, you knew who in your village could supply you with that. So buying in those days is you knew what you wanted, you knew who was going to sell it to you or who you go and barter to, and it was a very simple transaction. In the 1940s, we entered a second generation of buying where people uh, had more choice. Um, this is the age of the mail order catalog. This is the age of the telephone, the fax, uh, the radio, the television. And because of these kind of technologies, it meant that people were more connected. People had more choice. Um, that's the era when we really introduced sales process, thanks to companies like IBM, Burroughs. These are the people that saw that selling was more complex, and they introduced the notion of a sales process to navigate customers. 
and, and to be successful in selling. And that's a, what we call an internal focus, an inside-out focus, because you're focusing on what you're going to do. You're focusing on your sales process. But thanks to the Internet, we're now in a third generation of buyers. Buyers, once again, have had this discontinuous change because of technology. Today, it's not radio, TV. Today, it's the Internet. So buyers have incredibly more choice. Buyers have, as we've said, they're far more networked. So buyers are buying differently, but companies, in large part, are not selling differently. Uh, companies are selling as if it was still a second generation of buyers, focusing on their sales process and how they get their message out. And we believe that that, is uh, just no longer an effective way to sell based on this movement, this shift to a third generation of buyers. It seems like that would be a great question to ask going into an organization. What other processes do you have that are unchanged from the 1940s or 50s that you're following, right? Um, Is that really a good idea to still be thinking about things, to be looking at the world in the same way as businesses were back then, right? It's a fascinating idea, Phil, because I, I look at manufacturing. Look at what happened to manufacturing in the 80s. There was a whole huge shift in looking at how we optimize manufacturing from uh, the raw goods through the entire process. And we saw major, major gains and different thinking as people started to think of just in time and all the other things that happened in manufacturing. And I think we've got to have that same kind of shift now in our revenue generation processes, our sales and our marketing approaches. So let's talk about that shift. Let's talk about what businesses need to do to stop going backwards and to get it right. Now, how can they manage this end-to-end customer journey the right way today? Well, you know, it's interesting. We've somehow started using this word shift, and I think that is absolutely key. I think it's a shift from focusing on why customers would buy. That's the only a fool wouldn't buy. You're focusing on why a customer would buy. You've got to shift to how they buy and why they would not buy. And that's a a major, major shift that's got to occur. We call it going from inside out to outside in. So instead of focusing on your product and how you're going to get that to the marketplace, you go outside the company and you start by focusing on how customers are going to buy and why they would not. And that's really key. So you go way beyond this, why would a customer buy? Well, they buy because we're offering them $20 for an investment of $8. You're going to how? What's going to happen? What is their end-to-end buying journey? What are we asking them to do? What is likely to happen? Who are they likely to go to? Who's likely to be involved? How are they going to make their decisions? And then why they may not buy? So what are all the things that are going to be on their mind? What are all the barriers, the hurdles, what we call the friction? What's the friction that's going to hit them in their buying journey? And we think there's, there's three keys to answer the question, how do you manage the end-to-end customer buying journey? That you start by decoding. You start by decoding how your customers are going to buy. And the good news is, and our research pointed to the fact, that in a particular market, customers are going to buy in remarkably similar ways. In fact, we define a market that way. That in a market, people are going to buy for the same reasons, the same kind of people are going to get involved, and they're going to have the same kind of issues and challenges. They're going to be worrying about the same kind of things. That's the definition of market. So go to your market and decode exactly how they're going to buy, why would they buy, and then most importantly, why they may not buy. What's the friction that's going to occur? When you fully understand, we, we call it decoding the buying journey DNA, 
when you've decoded the biogenic DNA, the second thing is to develop what we call a market engagement strategy. And this is way beyond a selling approach. This is, this is something that should be owned by the executive. How are we going to go to market? How are we going to engage meaningfully in this marketplace? If we look at how customers buy, if we have that mapped out on the wall, metaphorically, and maybe literally we have that mapped out, what's going on in our market? How are we going to engage in that marketplace? Are we going to try and cause them to buy differently? Uh, how are we going to overcome the friction in that buying journey? So we've got to develop what we call a market engagement strategy. And then the third of the three things, after decoding the, the, the buying journey DNA, after developing the market engagement strategy, it's enablement. How do we coordinate and align all of our resources to implement and um, execute upon our strategy? And that's a far, far cry from every sales rep out there just doing kind of a trial and error, trying to get customers, prove to customers the value they're going to get and close customers. No, we want to move away from that. We want a harmonized market engagement strategy across our organization. So those are the three things we focus on. Decoding the buying journey DNA, the strategy of how we're going to engage and manage all aspects of that buying journey, and then ensuring the resources the energy and the initiatives of the organization are all aligned to that strategy. Right. Now, can you give an example of one or more businesses that have been through this process that have made this turnaround and what kind of results they have seen? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things we see is we see that the, the results speak for themselves, especially when you start to focus on how do you flatten the friction in the buying journey. So as an example, we're working with a company that provides medical reprocessing services to hospitals. So there's many devices hospitals use that are marked one time only, but these devices are perfectly fine to be sterilized and used again. And so many, many may say that the manufacturers stamp them with single use only so that the hospitals are forced into buying a new one every time. So hospitals some time ago used to just sterilize them and use them again. And then the FDA said, whoa, you can't do that. If something's marked single-use only, you can't go and sterilize it and use it again. However, an industry was born that said to hospitals, well, we'll take those devices and we'll remanufacture them. And providing it was an FDA-approved process, you could remanufacture, i.e. test, clean, whatever you had to do, and provide those devices back to the hospital so they could be used again at a great saving and a saving of toxic waste as well. So they were going into hospitals, and I'm going back about 15 years when this industry started. They, they were going into hospitals and essentially approaching them and, and saying, you know, sign up for reprocessing services. It's really simple. All you do is send us those devices. We'll remanufacture them and send them back to you. You'd be and fools not that, to do it, right? Yeah. You'd be a fool not to buy. Exactly yeah. correct. Yeah. And, you know, it looks so obvious. So we went behind the buying journey. And long story short, what we discovered is if you're sat in the seat of a hospital, it sounds really good, doesn't it? That, so I can just send you this device, you'll send it back to me, and I, I don't have to buy a new one, and I save a lot of money. But what we actually found, what was on the buyer's mind is the buyer was, this is anything but simple. First of all, what about liability? Are, are our surgeons and physicians covered from a liability point of view? Do we have to tell patients that we're, re, that we're using remanufactured devices on them? How do we actually get those devices to you? So out of the OR or whatever, how do we actually get that device to you? 
And then, big one, when you send it back to us, our IT system doesn't know that we've got it because the IT system works on what do we buy and it's on the shelf. So we'll put it on the shelf, but nobody's going to know about it because it's not in the IT system. As far as the IT system is concerned, it's used and it's gone. So there it was. There's a thousand details there that the customer's worrying about, and the company's just thinking that, that you know, let's get out there and sh show them how to save money. So what we did with them is we shifted them from trying to get customers to sign up for their service. Uh, they would then approach customers and say, you know, this single-use device remanufacturing re is clearly something that's going to happen. However, and this is the salesperson, the supplier talking, there's a lot of issues with it. The issues are, how do you get the devices to us, insurance? But we're experts. Now, here's the twist. They would say, we're experts in those areas, and we'll consult with you. We'll put in place a whole reprocessing system for you. We'll work with your physicians. We'll work with your IT people. We'll get this all worked out. And in 90 days' time, we will start the program. So they engage the marketplace in a very different way. Instead of saying, use our remanufacturing, re reprocessing service. They said, we are an expert at making this work. So they engaged the marketplace in a totally different way, which flattened the friction. So instead of the customer saying, no, this isn't for us, the customer would go, yeah, come on in, help us do this. So their results that they'd essentially been flat in revenue for three years, their results took off, and I can say they were acquired by a very large company just a couple of years later. So there's an example of how understanding how the customer is buying, understand why the customer would not, changing your entire approach to the market. That resulted in rebranding. It resulted in, in a whole different selling and marketing approach. But that approach engaged the marketplace in a way that was way more effective than they'd been doing before. That's an amazing story. Speaking as someone who has worked in marketing for years and years, product marketing in particular, it is so easy to define a quote-unquote value proposition for the customer. But what this really comes down to is looking at the world through their eyes, right, to actually see what they're Absolutely. experiencing and, and putting, and putting an offer together that responds to that. You're so right. And, and we talk about the difference between interest and commitment that those great value propositions and all that work we're doing in marketing can get a market interested. You know, the, ear, the ears prick up and they go, wow, that's interesting. But they are not even in a buying journey. You're educating them. You're entertaining them. <laughs> uh, but they're not in a buying journey. And people get really confused by that because they'll see the ears prick up. And they'll see the market go, wow, that's interesting. It doesn't mean that anybody anywhere is in a buying journey. So you've really got to understand the difference between generating interest and generating a commitment. And a commitment is all about ensuring people are in a buying journey and they get through that buying journey. So Martin, this is really a pretty dramatic shift uh, for co companies today. Uh, it, you know, a lot of the criteria you, you mentioned, speed of the Internet, and the Internet's only going to get faster. We're going from 4G to 5G, so things are going to be going a lot faster. Are you really optimistic that businesses will be able to improve their understanding of buying behavior? And what do you think is the biggest challenge to understanding how we might overcome it? I am optimistic because if you look at it, it happened. In fact, we were talking about manufacturing earlier. Uh, it happened in the 80s that we gave up manufacturing processes 
and approaches that have been successful for decades and had a shift. It didn't happen overnight, but it happened. There was a growing awareness of the need for efficiency and effectiveness throughout the whole manufacturing process and supply chain, and it happened. And I think we're going to see the very same thing in sales and marketing. I think we are going to see a revolution. I think there's, there's kind of two things driving that. I think, and I see people talking about customer buying journeys more and more, so people are more maybe puzzled, inquisitive, and mindful about how a customer's buying or why they're not. So I'm seeing that focus grow. The other thing is I'm seeing more analytics being used. I think analytics, of course, again, a function of the internet in many ways. Analytics are going to show that markets don't behave the way people thought and perhaps start to show people the way that markets do behave. So I, I'm optimistic that's going to happen. The biggest challenge, it's the one we talked about before, the unfailing belief, the passion for your product, the passion for what you're offering, and the belief of the benefit it translates to for the customer. That is the single biggest challenge that we're faced with, that company after company love their product, and it gives them this incredible myopia about what's really happening in their customer's buying journey. Fascinating stuff, Martin. I will tell you, the book not only defines the concepts, but shows you how to do it. And I, I think that's a, a real plus for the book. And I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. Well, thank you, Ron and Phil. It's been my pleasure. Well, it's been a real pleasure having you with us. Okay, that's going to have to do it for this edition of Fast Forward on the World Transform. My thanks to Ron Powell, and thanks once again to our special guest, Martin Lewis, for being with us today. And thank you all for listening. We hope you will join us again as we continue to explore a future that is unfolding before us in unexpected ways and at a breathtaking pace. And until next time, live to see it. To learn more about Martin Lewis and how customers buy and why they don't, visit buyingjourneydna.com. To learn more about this program, visit worldtransform.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.